Thanks for that, guys. What's up, Saul? How we doing tonight? Uh, how we doing tonight? You good? Good. It's good to be back. I've been gone the last couple weeks. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm super stoked to be bringing God's word tonight. Um, if you are new to Saul Company, special welcome to you if you're just checking it out. Um, and if you're wondering, like, what do I need to know about this place? What, am, what do I have to expect um, week in and week out if I want to start kind of diving in here? Um, it's pretty simple. This is what you have to expect. You are going to hear us talk about Jesus a lot. Okay? Um, we just sang about Jesus quite a bit. And we are going to now open God's word and continue to talk about Jesus a lot. Why do we do that? Well, I think, um, and I hope I'm not alone in this, but I think when we open up God's word, when we open up the Bible, and we start to see Jesus here, sort of read about him, hear what he says, learn from him, what we see is pretty remarkable, okay? Um, what we see from Jesus is pretty amazing, and it starts to become life-changing. Like when we read these words in this book, we start to kind of lose the notion that culture has that he was just a really good religious teacher or um, a really good example, as a role model, somebody to be admired. Um, what we start to see pretty clearly, pretty quickly, is that Jesus is a king, and he is worthy of all of our worship. I think a lot of us, um, we come to the Bible, right? We come to church and we start to expect something. We come with some preconceived notions. We, we expect to be handed, when we open the Bible or hear from the Bible, we expect to be handed a bunch of rules. Um, a lot of rules to follow or just a lot of facts kind of thrown at you from a stage or from your Sunday school teacher that you need to memorize. So you do well at Bible trivia or something like that. Like we think that's kind of what this is all about sometimes. But when we see the Jesus of the Bible... We come to a completely different conclusion than that. We see that Jesus is a real person. He is Lord of all. And he actually wants a relationship with you tonight. And uh, a lot of you guys have been coming for a while. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've been coming for a while, and maybe uh, this is even new for you this past year. Or maybe you had a really big weekend at the fall retreat. And you're getting sick now. But maybe you've come to this conclusion like, dude, I want Jesus to be a bigger part of my life this year. That's so cool. That pumps me up like not much else does. And maybe if you're visiting tonight, you're kind of curious about that. And that's why you're here. Like, I think maybe like, what would it be like if Jesus were a part of my life? And if you're curious about that, I mean, you're in the right place. I'm pumped up about that. But this is uh, what I'm seeing tonight. As we jump back into Colossians 1, this is what I'm seeing. So Jesus doesn't actually just want to be a part of your life. He wants to be first in your life. He doesn't just want to be a part like, uh, like your Instagram bio or something. Like just, I'm going to slap some verses on there, kind of show people that Christianity is kind of this thing that I do. Um, like an accessory on a keychain or a badge on your sash or anything like that. Jesus actually wants the throne of your heart. I think you guys know what I mean by that though, okay? That if Jesus were just like an accessory to your life, that's like a guy getting to the altar, like making his vows to a lady and saying, like I vow to make you second priority in my life 
only behind my fantasy football team. Like, guys, no girl is ever going to go for that. Like, that's idiotic. Like, nobody wants that. In the same way, when Jesus wants a relationship with you, he wants top priority. And maybe the word priority isn't even a strong enough word for this. Maybe it's more like vitality, right? Not just like an order of things, like where does Jesus fall, but like, is he vital to your life, right? Like, I think a lot of us, we treat Jesus like uh, more like a pinky toe and less like the heart beating in your chest, okay? This is what I mean. Like, I was in the office yesterday or two, two days ago, um, and there was like this little um, electric thing open. You know what I'm talking about, electric thing on the ground? Like a cover of like an outlet, outlet cover. And I'm walking, I had shoes on, pretty sure I had these shoes on, and I stubbed my little toe, and it hurt so stinking bad. And guess what happened? I did not start to cry, no. I survived. I lived. It was amazing. I stubbed my toe and I lived to tell about it because my little toe is not vital to my life. Now, if I'm in there and my heart stops beating, I have a heart attack and it doesn't come back, like, I'm done, I'm not here tonight, right? Because my heart is vital. And I think in the same way, the difference between us with or without Jesus is actually a life and death conversation that we need to have. Jesus is vital. And yet, we all kind of have this propensity, all of us do, to kind of keep him peripheral, right? Kind of keep him at a safe distance, keep him on the sideline. Maybe he's useful to us when necessary. But he's definitely not Lord of our lives. He's definitely not receiving worship. Maybe on a Thursday night when we kind of sing along with the band, but we're not living lives of worship to him. He's not receiving our first fruits. He's not receiving our heart and our affections and our love. Why do you think that is? You guys, as we're getting into Colossians 1, going a little deeper in there, we're going to see that Jesus is in fact Lord, but along with that, we're going to see just how deeply this Lord loves you. The throne of your heart was made for him and him alone. The question is, for you tonight, will you have him there? And this is the big idea, the simple but I think life-changing truth that God's word gives us tonight. It's a bit wordy, but this, this is what it is tonight, guys, that Jesus is Lord of his world. He's Lord of his people. And that should make us so happy. And so as we open up our Bibles to Colossians 1, I'm actually just going to stop and pray. Um, this text is so wonderful, and I just want the Lord to open our eyes and our hearts to receive it. So if you would pray with me real quick before we dive in. Lord Jesus, you are in control. Um, whatever semblance of control even I have over tonight, God, I, I give it back to you, God. But we ask more than anything that, Jesus, you would open our eyes, that you would open up our ears, you'd soften up our heart, whatever you have to do to get your truth, your good news into our lives and change us, Lord. Do whatever it takes. And as scary as it is, Lord, I, I do just say we give you control. For your glory and your name. Amen. Amen. All right, Colossians 1. We're going to be in verses 15 through 17 to start out. If you got there in your Bible or the verse will be on the screen, this is what it says. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Okay, if you are here last week, Cole started this new series, opening up the book of Colossians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Colossae. Um, and here's kind of what the big idea Paul is trying to get across is, is that he wants this church, and by God's grace, us even tonight, but he wants this church in Colossae to know the truth about Jesus, right? There's some false teaching probably going around, going around in this um, region. Um, this church is starting to get wind of it. False teachings um, kind of distorting the message of Jesus, um, kind of adding to it or taking away from it, really just saying things about Jesus that aren't true. And Paul knows what we need and what this church needs more than anything is to get this one thing right. Who is Jesus? They cannot get this wrong. They need to see, we need to see who the real Jesus is if we are actually going to finish this faith journey and this Christian walk. I remember this past year um, being on a train ride uh, in Italy. Cool. Um, and I remember sitting next to this, this cool dude, and uh, it turns out he could speak English. We started talking, and we started to, like, get into it, right? And, like, we're, we're talking about Jesus. And then I remember telling him these things, uh, the truth of Jesus, right? And then he said, maybe you guys have had a conversation like this. What he said to me was, like, that's great for you. Like, the no, 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 you don't, he's telling me, like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, that can be Jesus for you, but that's not who Jesus is to me. Therefore, you cannot tell me who you think Jesus is. And even just writing that and thinking about that made me so sad. Like, it's a smart kid, but man, that makes me so sad. Like, Jesus is not, like, just, like, this preferential flavor of ice cream that you just get to pick, Right? This is the Jesus I want. This is the Jesus I don't want. These verses that we just read, they make it like so much weightier than that. Like who he is seems to really, really matter in Colossians 1. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. Do you see that? The first thing it says, he's the image of the invisible God. A lot of people that you're going to hear are going to say that he was just a really good teacher. Or maybe in like a more religious world, he was a really uh, good prophet. Maybe he was even divine, but kind of like an angel. Nope. He is 100% God. Jesus is God himself. Part of that wonderful, beautiful triune mystery, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is 100% God who has taken on 100% humanity. The incarnation, like Jesus, taking on flesh, has made something invisible, God, to be visible. In Christ, we see God. In John 14, 8, Jesus is talking to one of his disciples, Philip, and Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Like, if you just show us God, we'll be good. And, and Jesus said back to him, have I been among you all this time, and you don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. Because, guys, when we look at Jesus, we see the perfection of God himself. Okay, it says next, he's the firstborn, that's a hard one, firstborn over all creation. Okay, now some of your translations might say firstborn of creation. And I want you to slow down there and not get confused by that. Because this is really, really important. 
is this saying that Jesus was created? Because you're like, wait, if he's God, I don't think God was created, right? Correct. God was not created. Jesus was not created. This term, firstborn, it's really, really important. Um, And it's not saying that Jesus was just like the first thing that was created in the world. No, they they would understand in this culture and in this time, this context that um, Paul is writing, firstborn in this culture meant a lot. The one with the inheritance coming to them, the one who receives the blessing, the one in the family with authority. Jesus being the firstborn then is all about his worth, his supreme value that he alone has. Why? Well, it says next, for or because everything was created by him. No, he was not a created thing. In fact, the opposite, he was creator. He created everything. John 1 says it well. It says all things were created through him, that being Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus, the word of God, was the agent of creation at the beginning. As God spoke something into being from nothing, Jesus was creating. But notice something interesting about what it means for Jesus to be called the creator here. It says that all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, everything created by him, but not only that, created for him. And this means oceans, mountains, little tiny bugs, you, me, and even his own enemies who killed him on a cross. Jesus created everything and everyone. He created everything and everyone so that in the end he would be glorified, that we would see his worth and his value, and that we would turn and worship, right? We would celebrate him for who he is, for what he's done. And when he creates us, guys, he creates us for him. That also means something incredibly profound, that he is the one who decides our purpose, right? Like how many People have made, I don't know, so many marketing campaigns just trying to, like, poke at that one thing and said, we want to find our purpose, right? We want to find who we are. We want to find why we exist, the meaning of life. You were made to worship Jesus. That is the supreme truth of who we are. It says that he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Jesus is not just a clockmaker, right? Someone who makes a clock and just winds it up and just lets it run. He's actually the sustainer. Right? Every beat of your heart, every atom in the universe, it's all upheld, it's all sustained by Jesus. Hebrews 1:3 says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Here it is, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so in a culture that is really celebrating being self-made and independent, like if that's you, if that's your thing, that's what you're trying to be, you are completely dependent on Jesus, even right now. That's what's true. You don't live in a world that's run by chance or dumb luck. You live in a world, whether you acknowledge it or not, that is run by an active and engaged God. Jesus, he is God. He is creator. He sovereignly rules his world, and he sustains all things. The first thing we see in that, guys, is that Jesus is Lord of his world. 
And do you know what's really interesting about all that? I know that was like a lot, right? That was like a, jeez, that was like kind of drinking from a fire hose right there. It's like a lot of good theology, a lot of fun stuff right there. But do you know what's crazy about it is I think a lot of times we don't want any of this to be true. <laughs> I, I remember um, when I was like a freshman uh, taking like space class at Iowa, like the stars, um, stars, galaxies. Okay, yeah, so you guys know what I'm talking about, space class, right? Um, I went to like a few lectures, like three, and I remember going to the last one. Um, and it haunts me, like what I remember from that particular lecture kind of haunts me still to this day. I remember this genius professor getting up there, and he, we did something fun. It was like a little activity on the last day. He, he like showed us all these sweet images, and he showed us galaxies. And he just kept backing up further and further and further. And every new image was something that was even more amazing than the last. And we kept going further and further and further away from Earth with this amazing technology. And we're seeing just the wonders of the cosmos. And it's like we backed up. I, had to, I don't remember this. I didn't like write this in my notes. But I looked it up. You get like 46.5 billion light years away. And you get to that, like, uh, that cosmic horizon. Like the farthest that we can see. And we get there. And I remember the professor describing it as like this wall. And he said something so cryptic and so eerie. And he just, almost with like a sadness or like a wonder in his voice, he's like, and that's all we got. But I guess there could be something more than that out there. And I guess there could be something bigger still. And it was like this moment, I'm like, is he, and then like right when he says that, like the, Metaphorical bell rings, the clock strikes, and everybody just packs up and goes. He says, have a nice summer. And it felt like in that moment, he might as well, this professor, he might as well have been holding up Colossians 1, reading it, seeing Christ, crumbling it up, and saying no thanks. I mean, to my space teacher, uh, Jesus being Lord of everything is terrible news. But let me tell you, in Colossians 1, it, it says otherwise. Right? If Jesus is God, that means he's not just another prophet showing up to tell you about God or a philosopher telling you a new way to live that could get you to God. He is God who has come to you. If he created you, then he knows your innermost self. He knows what makes you tick. Jesus knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. He knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and can provide every single thing for you. And if he created everything else, I mean, he gives everything its purpose. And he's in complete control, even in the darkest days of life. He has the authority and the power and the wisdom to turn them into ultimate good. Even as, guys, this is crazy. Even as the nails were being driven through his hands, pinning him to the cross, Jesus was in control. He was in control and he was weaving even that most evil day on earth for eternal good. If he holds all things together, guys, that means when your world, when my world, when it spins out of control, when the world and our life, it just doesn't make sense anymore, we kind of hit that place of panic and anxiety and worry, 
We've lost all semblance of control of everything we've been holding on to. We can take a deep breath and we can even smile. I know it can be frightening to realize that you are not the Lord of your life. It's not popular to hear that you are not the captain of your own destiny. But man, could there be anything more exhilarating and life-giving and hope-filled than to know that maybe, just maybe, the same God who is supreme over you and over the world could actually be for you? What if that were true? Could you imagine if all of this sovereignty and all of this power was directed at you for your good? Let's keep reading. Let's see in verses 18 through 22. We find this, that he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now, I underline that, I love those two words, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Have you ever wondered how in the world the church is still going today? There's a lot of broken people and kind of weird things in church history over the past 2,000 years. Have you ever wondered why in the world or how in the world this is still going? Here's your answer. The chief, the chief shepherd, the head pastor of the church, he rose from the dead. And even more than that, as he holds the keys to the grave, he gives the people in his church the people that he brings into his family, he gives them the exact same power over the grave because it belongs to him and he can give it to whoever he wants. He is for us. The one with the power to rule us is the one who bends to bless us and lead us. The one who blows our minds in wonder and awe is the one who wants to pierce our hearts tonight with his love. I love how commentator, author Eugene Peterson kind of translate this first part of verse 18. He says, when it comes to the church, Jesus organizes and holds it all together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. Under the rule and leadership of Jesus, what can you expect? If you give your life to him and say, Jesus is Lord, and you believe that and you want your life to reflect that, what can you expect? You can expect a resurrection parade. You can expect joy that you cannot find anywhere else. How do we get in on that joy? It says that someone had to bleed. You catch that? It says that someone had to bleed, and Jesus Christ, literally full of wisdom and full of power, 
became a fool in the world's eyes and became the very definition of weakness. He spilled his blood while he was high and lifted up on the cross. But why? Why would the sovereign king of the universe choose to suffer and die? Because he had a church in mind. A group of people who once were his enemies, who were alienated and hostile in mind as expressed by their evil actions. He wanted to reconcile them. Jesus used his power and he used his authority, get this, to reconcile sinners. I love that word reconciled. Just Google, what does reconcile mean? Restore friendly relations. How does that not make you smile? Restore friendly relations. When Jesus has power and authority, he doesn't seem to use it like we do, does he? He looks at us who want nothing to do with him or who just want to keep him at a safe distance away, just not enough to mess up our lives. And he personally makes a way to make us happy. What greater way for Christ to be glorified than to literally save and reconcile sinners like us and make them happy? The last point we see in Nike is that Jesus is Lord of his people. Have you guys ever been given like a place of authority or power or influence um, and you've just kind of like, you just blew it, like you just totally wasted it? Um, None of you, sweet. I, I've done it a couple times. And I, if I've shared this before, I'm sorry, but I hate that this just pops into my mind, the idea of just bad stewardship of power, if you will. But I just remember babysitting my nephew when he was like three years old. And um, he was the worst kid ever. Like, like really the worst kid ever. Oh, my gosh. Um, he's cool now. He's like 14. He is 14. Um, we're really good friends, um, but he was terrible. And I just remember having to babysit him one night. My sister and husband, I think they probably took the other kids with them. For some reason, they just left me here with the worst kid ever. And it was bedtime, which means it's time to lose your mind and scream and just go nuts until you literally pass out. And I just wasn't feeling it. And I just remember, like, all the screaming is going on, and I'm like holding the door shut, and he's in his bed just going nuts. And I'm holding, I'm just like praying, like, God help me. Well, then I must have just stopped praying because my blood just starts to boil. And I was getting so angry, as he was for some reason so angry. He had nothing to be angry about, but I had something to be angry about in this moment. And so I just get the, I, don't, I just lost control. And I just remember <laughs> uh, like opening the door as fast as I could. And I don't know if I really game plan this too well, and sorry if this is loud, but I just charged his bed and just go, ah! <laughs> It shut him up quick. <laughs> he was so scared. His like puffy, tear-soaked face just, like just stopped, right? And I remember walking out of the room like, what have I become? <laughs> like that was the worst uncle move I have ever scene, even though it worked. My response to his hostility was just more hostility. 
Jesus meets hostility with sacrificial love. That's not like us. My response, even now, like when my nephew is like just being a punk or something, 14-year-old, like I still remind him of how bad he was as a kid. Um, Jesus sees you and sees me as we're trying to follow him and we inevitably stumble and we fall and we do things that we promised we wouldn't do anymore. He sees that and he doesn't remind us like a guilt trip of who we used to be and how we're never gonna amount to anything, no. He says peace. And he declares us holy, faultless, and blameless. To the sinner who needs to hear that declared over them tonight, this is absolutely everything. Because guys, Jesus didn't live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and walk out of the grave so that you could live a half-hearted, devoted life for him. Just keeping him on your Instagram bio, just using him like an accessory. Jesus Christ is Lord to the ends of the cosmos. He is Lord over all the wonders of this planet. He is Lord over every invisible atom that we can't see, and he wants to be Lord of your life. The question is tonight, will you see him for who he is? who he presents himself to be in scripture, who he has revealed himself to be. Will you see what he did for you on the cross where he gave you grace when you deserve punishment? And will you believe that he alone, unrivaled by anything else in your life, he alone deserves to sit on the throne of your heart? Jesus is Lord of his world and his people. And I'm telling him, man, that should make us so happy. This passage tonight that ends um, in a cool way. The the final verse here, um, and I'm going to read the first part of it again too, but it says, but now he's reconciled to you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And here it is. If indeed, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Paul has just presented an incredible introduction of who Jesus is. Great theology. And in the light of all of these lies and false teachings that are going on, trying to distort the truth of who Jesus is, Paul is pleading with this church to say, you know the truth, don't leave it. You know who Jesus is. So hold on tight. You know the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that the king had his body ripped apart on a cross so that you could be made whole and live with him forever. And how happy your life can be now by giving up control. Day after day after day. In the good times and in the bad. In the times where you feel peace or the times when you feel chaos and anxiety, the brightest, happiest days that you don't want to forget to the days where you can almost just like feel the grave is close. In everything, we proclaim, church, we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. God, 
you are worthy. We sang it, we read it, and we believe it, God, that you are worthy of our entire lives, not just our Thursday nights, God, not just our Sunday mornings or um, not even just our connection groups, not even just our mornings if we read our Bibles. God, you are worthy of everything. And Lord, you are so good to us that when we, when we hear about this, when we see you clearly, our hearts just can't help but fall more in love with you. When you look at us and no matter what stuff we bring in this room, you look at us and you say, I love you. You look at us when we walk in here, no matter what our performance was this week, and you say, I'm proud of you. I just can hardly believe sometimes, Lord. But help my unbelief. And God, would you just help the unbelief of this room? Would we see you for who you are, God? And if, and if we feel like, man, we have just been striving, like, what am I supposed to do after this message, God? Would you just comfort us to open up our hands and just simply give you control again? Here's my life, Lord. I receive your grace. I receive what you did for me. I receive this salvation, God. And now day after day after day, God, keep me there. God, don't let us wander. Don't let us wander from the cross. We love you, Lord.